As we deal with the challenges of hybrid working and talent wars in this new world of work, the Financial Times helps you understand what might be next. I'm Isabel Berwick, the host of the FT's Working It podcast. Each week, we discuss the ideas and trends shaping the future of work. The FT's broad coverage and unique insights can help you to make sense of it all. Check out our podcasts and read selected articles free at ft.com slash insights. So here we go with another one of our Q&As. Uh, with, uh, this time with John Boyne, who's done it before, but we, we've forgotten what he said last time, so he can come up with exactly <laughs> yeah. the same answers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John's book is The Echo Chamber. If you want to hear John talking about that uh, extraordinary new novel uh, that he's done, then you can find that podcast where you got this podcast. Uh, okay, here we go. Are you ready for this, John? Are you ready to... I am indeed. ...inspire yes. us with uh, with more fantastic... Uh, book recommendations and insights. Question number one, what was the last book? This definitely was the same opening question, I think, uh, as last time. What was the last book you really, really enjoyed? Um, It's a book called True Crime Story by Joseph Knox, which came out about um, a month or so ago. Mm -hmm. And I adored it. It is, as the the title suggests, True Crime Story. It's written as a true crime story. But Joseph, the author, is a character in the book, a, a, a woman goes missing and he's trying to, he's interviewing all these different people who knew her at the time, family, friends, but he's also sort of part of the action. And you're reading and thinking, is this, is this fiction or is this nonfiction? And it's, it, it sort of bends genre quite a bit. And I thought it was very, um, I thought it was highly original and, and very readable. Also, he doesn't come out of it very e- because he's in it, but he doesn't come out of it very well himself, does he? <laughs> no, and, and in fact, he starts the book by saying that he's been dropped by his publisher, which he hasn't been. <laughs> so um, he, he says that the book itself has, uh, and his actions that are recounted in it, lead to the publisher dropping him. But um, it's recently been number one, so I don't think the publisher are dropping him anytime soon. <laughs> I get the feeling that's, that's one of the first answers where all three of us have loved that book. Uh, it's, a, it's a great book. It's uh, sitting next to me now. As, as we're talking. Um, is there a book, John, that stands out to you from your childhood? Yes. The one for me from childhood is probably The Silver Sword by Ian Sorelier. And uh, I always look back at that as the first time I read about uh, children in the war, in the Second World War, and the, uh, the part children played in it and the effect war and trauma had on kids. And it's something I've written about in three of my young people's books. And I remember finding it a very frightening book. Um, as a sort of 10 year old reading it um, and seeing these four children fleeing the Nazis. Um, but it, 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 it really, really stayed with me for, for many years and um, probably, you know, sparked that interest in the war that led eventually in my life to to boy in the strap pajamas. Short chapters versus long chapters discuss. I think short chapters these days, you know, I'm writing a book at the moment where um, every chapter is only about 1500 words. Um, so it's quite snappy. And I think that works quite well. And in, in the echo chamber, I, I, I do it as well. I sort of narrow it down, like just very, very short scenes um, with titles. I think it makes it a little bit easier on the reader and on the writer. Um, I'm also sort of short books, even though I write long books, there's nothing better. You know, I'm, you know, I'm sure you get to myself, you know, when you like, book post arrives and sometimes it's like 120 pages and you go oh yeah okay i'll have a go with that one yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) there's too many long books in the world 
Yeah, quite right. Um, so Ian Rankin is um, quoted on on um, the front cover of the Echo Chamber saying this is the funniest book I've read in ages, savage but compelling. And you've obviously had great quotes from uh, many of many writers about about your books. Is the one that's meant the most to you? Uh, I, I think probably John Irving, um, who gave a quote for uh, the Absolutist. I think it was, and John Irving was my is my uh, favorite writer. And growing up, uh, I, you know, I, I just absolutely idolized him. And then when I became a published writer, uh, we became friends and he became sort of a mentor to me over many years as well. And the idea of him even reading one of my books, let alone, you know, saying something nice about it, um, was wonderful. So yeah, seeing John Irving's name on a book of mine, it was a big thrill. Uh, when and where, John, are you most comfortable writing? Um, so we're talking here, you know, location. Uh, obviously, which I suspect might be in the room that you're uh, in at the moment. Um, Do you write a particular time of day? Do you like to have music on, etc.? When I'm writing a first draft of a novel, um, I like to be here in Dublin in, yes, you know, we can see each other on the screen here and uh, in this room that you're looking at. Uh, I like to have sort of a few months where I can just be here every day. Once I have that first draft, doesn't matter. I can go anywhere with it. And, you know, in the pre-COVID days when I'd be traveling a lot, um, I can bring that. I could work on a plane, on a train, in a pub, in a hotel, bedroom. Um, and I'm happy to do that. And I quite like bringing work with me when I'm away uh, to kind of keep me focused on something. And I'm generally at my desk by about 8.30 in the morning. Uh, I, I see it very much like a day job. Uh, I don't tend to work late at night. So it's it's usually just during the day. And I couldn't possibly listen to music. I couldn't have any distractions. I know Roddy Doyle, the first thing he does when he sits down at his desk in the morning is he puts music on. Um, I couldn't possibly do that. Uh, but every writer works differently. Just uh, just before Matt has the next question, uh, apologies, Matt. Do you, in your book that we were discussing uh, on the other podcast, uh, your new book, the echo chamber. George, the father, has a news route. It's relevant to what you've just said. Has a routine uh, in the morning when he wakes up. Before he puts the phone on, he checks. I'm just, I'm just trying to remember the order of it, but he checks Reuters and Associated Press. Then he'll look at the BBC. Then the Times Telegraph. Anyway, there's a and there's a series of very yeah. astute and very uh, amusing gags about what he thinks of the people who consume uh, media from those particular sources. And I'm thinking, if you if you start work at eight thirty, John, do you have you done your equivalent of George's kind of media <laughs> circle before you sit down? I do. Yeah. Like around 7.30, I, you know, I'd start on like checking the emails and then, yeah, I go through like a whole bunch of, um, news sites, a couple of like, um, showbiz sites, you know, I'm only human. Um, yeah. then a couple of book sites and, um, yeah, and I kind of get my, like, my fill of like gossip and things and see has anything interesting happened overnight. And yeah, I do have a kind of a, I've been doing it for years, I guess, you know, like to say, I would, I would look at the various newspapers I would look at. I'd probably look in the same order every day um so yeah well it's just a it's just a, a simple routine at the start of a day is there a book john that you that you had to persevere with i am pretty um brutal when it comes to books if i, I mean i tell people that it's within 50 pages but bluntly it's within 10 and sometimes it's late even less than that if you're not go- and, and i am pretty relaxed about that as well i just i i, I entirely blame it on the author if you've not gra- grabbed me within 10 pages then that's your fault not mine but um is there a, is there a book that you did persevere with that you weren't quite enduring to begin with but you're glad you did 
Yeah, I, I, I don't feel any guilt about putting a book down if, I, if I'm not enjoying it. I feel like life is too short. But um, one thing about pers- a book that I did persevere with was I recently got, um, uh, do you know, I don't know if you know the Folio Society. They produce these lovely mm. illustrated hardback editions of yeah. novels. And I was given a copy of Oscar and Lucinda by Peter Carey. And um, I remember reading Oscar and Lucinda when I was about 18, when it came out, and I couldn't make head or tail of it. It just, you know, did, I was too young. It didn't make any sense to me at all. But I got this beautiful edition. And, uh, you know, I wanted to read it again because it was so beautifully packaged. But I thought this is going to be a bit of a slog. But coming to it 30 years later, you know, I read it in about three days. I couldn't put it down. And something that I thought was going to be difficult to read was actually um, compelling. Uh, the next question is about world creation, I think, really. And uh, there are some authors who are spectacularly brilliant at it. But is there a book, John, that you would like to step inside of? Maybe just for a day, maybe for a couple of hours and then bail out. Um, I think it's probably an obvious answer in some ways, but I think maybe the Narnia books, because, you know, that series was very important to me as a child. And the thing is, I'm not really a, a fantasy guy at all. Um, I don't read very many fantasy books, but um, I, I love those books and I love my memory of where I was when I was reading them and who I was when I was reading them and the effect that they had on me at the time. So, yeah, if I could open, you know, if I could go through the, the, the cupboard and come out the other side, um, that would be, I've come out of one closet in my life. Why not come out of another? <laughs> come out of the wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, and another. That would be, that would be nice. <laughs> Um, th- there's no doubt that by r- writing great books as you have, John, and let's be blunt about it, writing very popular books as you, as you have, there will have been doors open to you that would have uh, would have been closed otherwise. Is there anyone that you've met because of your writing that you wouldn't have met otherwise? Um, well, I've been to Arison Uxeron, which is the president's home here in Dublin, and met the president of Ireland, and that was nice. But one I particularly remember was um, it was a good few years ago now. I think it was, it was I was in Australia, um, and it was when Boy in the Striped Pajamas had come out, and I was touring that book. And my publisher in Australia had asked me, was there anything in particular that I re- would really like to do while I was there? And of course, I'd grown up watching Neighbours and loving neighbours. And I said jokingly when I was in Melbourne, I said, you know what, I'd love to go to, you know, I don't want to do the tour. I want it like that to be, you know, fancy. So I'd like to go, you know, meet them all and like, you know, see it being filmed and all that kind of thing. And I had a day off and I was picked up by a car and off I was brought to the neighbour set. And Jackie Woodburn, who plays um, Susan Kennedy in the show, um, was my host for the day. Wow. And um, she, took my, she took myself and Philip Arda, uh, a wonderful um, children's writer, around the set and introduced us to everybody. And then she invited us to our home for dinner. And, um, and then on another occasion when I was in Australia, she took us out with, uh, took me out with um, Harold Bishop, whose <laughs> real name, I can't remember, but I'm sure he has one. I don't know Sitting at a, a sushi restaurant in, in Melbourne with... Um, you know, Harold Bishop and Susan Kennedy. <laughs> You're sort of thinking, how did I, how did I get here? Was, what was it? What was the moment where my life led me to this place? Um, and it's very exciting. You know, I enjoyed that more than I enjoyed meeting some writers. <laughs> what was, uh, what was the name of the president's house, John? Uh, Oris on Uchtaron, which is the Irish, Oris is, um, house on Uchtaron is president. So the house of the All president. Right. I thought, because the last podcast that we did, I thought we were going to have another head of state story because the last, one of these we did was with the Icelandic writer Ragnar Jonasson, who is speaking to us from uh, from Reykjavik. His book is The Girl Who Died. You can get that podcast where you got this podcast. Anyway, it turns out that the Prime Minister of Iceland, 
who I'm sure you know is Catherine Jakobsdottir, turns out to be an expert in crime fiction and wrote her thesis about Icelandic crime fiction. And so, okay. so Ragnar and Catherine sort of get together and uh, they're on a writing project. So I thought for one moment we were going to have you were going to tell us that the that the Irish president is a mate of yours, um, and you're well, not quite a mate, but he is a poet, Michael D. Higgins. You know, wow. I mean, he's you know a lifelong politician, but he's also a, a very well respected poet, um, a very cultured um, individual, and um, you know everybody likes him in Ireland. He's a very nice gentleman. Right. Okay. Well, I think that's that counts as a head of state story. So yeah, it uh, does. I don't know who we're yeah. going to have uh, on our next podcast, but <laughs> we're on we're we're on a hat trick. So John Boyne has one, Ragnar has one, uh, and uh, that's that's a fascinating story. Anyway, John, listen, it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much indeed uh, for your time. Do you give yourself a some? Do you have some time off and have a summer holiday? Um, I mean, it's only been holiday recently, hasn't it? You know, I mean, it's not like there's been much to do, but uh, the rest of the summer, like, as I said, like I'm doing a festival in, in Tring, which is a place I'd never heard of. It's just outside London. You probably yes, heard of it. Yes. Um, in, in um, uh, some point in August. And that's, I am so looking forward to that. To just kind of being in a room with readers, booksellers, reading from the book, talking about books. I, you know, I'd rather that than a holiday. Okay. Well, uh, that's a classic John Boyne answer, I think. So if uh, look out in Tring, because John Boyne is coming your way, and he'll be the one with the biggest smile uh, in, the, yeah. in, in the room. Uh, John, a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much. And you, as always. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello, I'm Violet Manners. And welcome to Hidden Heritage, the podcast that brings you inside Great Britain's favorite destinations. From the same team that brought you the number one history podcast, Duchess, Hidden Heritage will uncover the fascinating stories behind the UK's brightest shining hidden gems. You'll hear from top experts in British heritage, including custodians, historians, artisans, experts, and even the craftsmen and restorers who've worked on some of the most celebrated historic buildings. We will share the untold and unique stories that celebrate UK heritage, from landmarks to architecture, artifacts to myths and legends. Hidden Heritage will highlight a side to British history you have never seen before. I'm your host, Violet Manners, and founder of Heritage X, and I invite you all to join us on this exciting journey. This is Hidden Heritage. You can find Hidden Heritage wherever you listen to your podcasts.